Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, and also your host. Today we have a super fun guest, a singer, songwriter, musician, best known for the founding of the Bulletproof Stockings Band, the one and only Pearl Wolf from Crown Heights, right? Um, well, I live in Chicago now, and I'm originally from Chicago, but I did live in Crown Heights for almost 10 years, and that is where I started Bulletproof Stockings, and we did most of our shows uh, out of New York. So yes, <laughs> that works. I'm still in Crown Heights in my heart. <laughs> I can definitely relate to being somewhere still, even though you're not there at the moment. So tell us, Pearl, when did you start writing music? When did you start playing music? How was music a part of your life? I've I've always been involved in music in the sense that I've always loved music. I've always, growing up, I always went to a lot of concerts. Um, and I played classical piano. I was trained uh, with a really awesome Russian piano teacher in the old school way. Um, I was classically trained in piano since I was like five or six years old. Um, and I didn't start writing music until I was 24. Or almost 25. And I think I started looking for bandmates within four or five months of starting to write. We had our first show like six months after I wrote my first song. So as soon as I started writing music, um, Baruch Hashem, it just kind of was very clear to me that I needed to do something with it. Like when it, the first song that came out, I really wasn't sure what was happening. It was just happening. And I was like, oh, songwriting. I've never done that before. I guess it's something I can do. Let me try it again. And I wrote another one and so on. I wrote like several songs in a week and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I can do that. That's cool. Maybe I'll share it with some people. And I shared it with some people and they really loved the music and they were like, you need to do this professionally. And I was, at first I was like, really? I don't think so. Like, it's just, just like a fun, cool thing that I can do, but I didn't think about doing anything, but I davened about it specifically and spent like a whole summer just writing and exploring those ideas and by the end of a couple of months of thinking about it and writing songs I felt a very very strong need to go to New York to start a women's band and it's it was just like kind of a funny um a funny interesting unexpected experience but As soon as like the answer came, so to speak, it was like very clear, like, this is what I need to do. I need to make this music. It needs to be a women for women band. So you just discovered your talent for songwriting at the age of 24, 25. And the music is what brought you to New York. You were in Chicago at the time. So <laughs> it's kind of confusing uh, timeline, but I actually had moved to New York from Chicago um, in 2008. And I was there for a couple of years. And then I started writing music in the spring of 2011. And I actually quit my day job and moved back to Chicago for a summer for about three months. I didn't know how long I was going to be there. I just decided to go home. I had just gone through a divorce. And so um, I just wanted to take a break from New York and, you know, rest and figure out where I was at emotionally, spiritually, and like what I needed to do next. And that is exactly when the music started coming. So I wrote my first song in New York 
um, right before Pesach of 2011, I went home for Pesach and like all these, all these extra songs started pouring out. And when I was home, I realized this is good for me. I should, I should quit my job in New York and come back here. So I went back to New York, got my stuff, came back to Chicago. I didn't know how long I'd stay there, but it ended up being the summer. So it was about three months. And by the end of it, it was very clear to me that I needed to go back to New York and start this women for women band. So um, so yeah, so that is, that's how it happened. So I had already been in New York for a while, but like, I've always kind of been back and forth between New York and Chicago. So how did you choose to go with rock? I didn't really try to write songs a certain way. They just came out the way they did. And when I thought, well, if I collect all these songs together and have to put a label on them, cause I have to, um, what would I call it? I think they're more rock. They're more edgy than they are pop for sure. Even though some of the songs are a little bit poppier, like um, one of the first, the second song I ever wrote, Frigid City, which is probably the fan favorite when I was in Bulletproof Stockings, that was like everyone's favorite song. It's the poppiest song. Um, it, definitely a, as a standalone, you'd probably call it a pop song. But in the group of songs, it's like alternative rock because it kind of covers a lot of ground. You know, it's a little jazzy. It's a little bluesy. Some of it's lighter, some of it's heavier. But I don't know. My, my favorite style of music is probably rock. My favorite bands and artists have always been rock musicians of whatever type of rock they are. So the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Radiohead. I love all types of music. So it's definitely not my only influence. I would say the music's kind of eclectic. So that's why I was like, alternative rock covers a lot of ground. That's kind of why I went with alternative rock as a label. Okay, but well, yeah. we established that. And I have to say that I haven't met so many from women who choose rock as their go-to style or go-to genre for music. I want to dive into, you know, the questions that are really heating me up the most. You've been featured all over and really highlighted as the first women's band or the first woman anything to go all out there and one of your biggest successes is that you didn't just appeal to Jewish women, you appealed to women in general, which was a great marketing spin to really get yourselves out there and build a brand name, which you absolutely did. So congratulations on that. But I want to have get some inside scoop and more information on how you pulled that off. And you did speak about women empowerment, which makes sense on how you included all women, not just Jewish women. So tell me a bit about the journey of uh, the marketing of your brand. How did you go from your idea to actually going on tour successfully and building your brand name recognition? All right. Um, it's a great question. I Unfortunately, I feel like the answer might not, um, <laughs> it might not be as straightforward. Um, it wasn't so much about branding and marketing as this is what came out and that's what people gravitated towards. I didn't, decide, okay, we're going to try and be a band out there for Jewish women and non-Jewish women. I mean, I always knew that I wanted all women to come and that that was never a question. I, I never thought that I was going to, not only did I know I wasn't specifically going to cater only to the from audience, I also knew that from the sound that was coming out, you know, the songs that I was creating, I just knew that not only from women would gravitate towards those songs. And in fact, interestingly, more from from birth women will gravitate towards singer songwriters and musicians in the from community who have a more frummy sound 
because I think that they haven't been exposed to different types of music. They're like, why are there all these words I don't understand? Why does the tempo change? Why is it so loud? You know, like all these things that like in the secular world, people be like, oh, this sounds like music I'd hear on the radio. And for from women, they're like, this sounds so different. It doesn't sound Jewish. It doesn't sound like what I know. And I totally get that. And that's why I think it's so amazing that there are so many different types of artists and there's room for everybody. Um, and that there are from women who do specifically cater to the from audience. And I think that their music naturally translates to from from birth women more. Not to say that we didn't have any from from birth uh, women fans. We certainly did. And, you know, I think I still do. But I think that the reason that the music got out to a wider audience is because of the way the music sounds. So it naturally got the attention of more people. I think that the reason that we got out to so many people in terms of marketing, again, this is kind of, I don't know. I w- Cause I wish I could tell your listeners something like a, a go-to, like this'll work. This'll get you out there. You'd be surprised how much information you're actually giving over with your story. Okay. <laughs> when it's bullet actual bullets of like do this do this do that I usually don't believe that so much right your story is more it makes more sense how the marketing works you're explaining right. it it's a story okay awesome so it's really Hashem you know I really felt strongly from the beginning that this was something that we needed to do for so many reasons you know one to be a good example of what Orthodox Jewish women look like, you know, I think that people have really negative stereotypes of the Orthodox Jewish world of the Hasidic world. Um, I think, you know, there's just a lack of information, which is where pretty much all hate and racism stem from. It's just ignorance. It's a lack of knowledge. So I think that's, that's one. And I think also for women, like either Balchuvas, converts, even from, from birth women who have never experienced a concert before a rock concert before because they don't want to go because it's not the right setting for them or they don't feel tzniyas there. Or like I said, Balchuvas are converts who came into Judaism and specifically um, orthodoxy later in life who miss going to concerts and gave all of that up. And all the Jewish music they listen to, it's not that they don't like it. It's just not exactly what they're used to. And so they're missing something. It's not and familiar wanted, to them. Right. And I wanted all these women to feel great about going to a rock concert and, you know, getting into a mosh pit and feeling like they're actually at a rock concert and they're not um, settling for something that isn't quite them and isn't quite what they're looking for. But this is kosher. Do you know what I mean? I wanted them to feel like I love this music. I love going to these concerts and I don't feel like I'm going to just a thing because it's kosher. I'm going and I'm listening to it because I like it for the music itself and for the experience itself. And so thank God, I think that 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 translated and. Once we we got one press release out really early on, we had a friend of mine. Her name is Yonit Tenenbaum. Hey, Yonit, if you listen to this, thank you still. Um, she wrote a press release on our first um, concert, and she marketed it to a couple of places, and a couple of different outlets picked it up. And just like one by one, different outlets started contacting us. There were outlets in Israel, and then, you know, they were just like, it was kind of word of mouth. Like there was an experience we had less than six months after starting Bulletproof Stockings, we got called by the New York Daily News, which is obviously a very big paper. And they had heard about us because they saw one of our posters up in a flower shop in Crown Heights at Mamulo. And they were 
doing a piece on how Crown Heights is so up and coming and kind of hipster in the Hasidic community. And they saw our poster and they were like, all girl Hasidic rock band. Who are these people? We got to call them and get them in on this story too. So they called us and that was like our first little blip of big secular press. And like after that, it was just like New York post. Um, We were featured in the New Yorker. We were featured in, Huffington Post, AOL, uh, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, The Guardian, like, thank God, it was like one thing after another, and each outlet, we, I'd always ask them, like, where did you hear about us? It was always some other outlet. It wasn't um, that we reached out to anybody. We actually didn't, we did not set up one of those interviews. I know that sounds crazy, but we really didn't market ourselves almost at all. We just started playing. We just put ourselves out there. And, you know, the people came and then the word got around. So thank God. That's also how we got to go on tour. You know, we had different people who had heard of us that called us to maybe be a manager or producer. And one person led us to another person. And then once you start working in the music industry, especially in the mainstream music industry, um, and, and I only say that because unfortunately, and this is changing in the from music industry, it's just more limited in general for men and for women, especially for women. And thank God that's changing and things are expanding. Um, But in the mainstream music world, there are just so many people that you can meet. And each time you work with one engineer at one studio, they know a thousand musicians and they know a thousand producers and people just kind of get around and then the connections are made. So, you know, someone contacted us about maybe being our manager He brought us to an agency that does um, artist building and touring and things like that. And we didn't want him to be our manager, but we liked the guy at the tour agency. And he actually emailed us separately saying, by the way, whether or not you go with this guy, like I'm interested in getting you guys on tour. And, you know, just one thing led to another. So thank God, you know, we were able to do a successful nationwide tour at a lot of very, very big, um, famous music venues Okay, so first of all, congratulations on paving the path to a successful route for a from woman in the in the music business. Kudos to that because it's very hard to see the light when you're stuck in this bubble. And I just wanted to ask, I know you spoke a lot about from from birth, tastes in music versus um, Bali Chuva and converts. I wanted to ask you, are you from from birth or? um, I am. Okay. I'm Amy. From from birth, Balchuba. Okay. I was from birth. I grew up Hasidic. I was not always religious, and then I became religious again. Um, so I've kind of been exposed to a lot of different things. And I also grew up with a very mixed family in the sense that my dad is a Balchuba and my mom is a convert. So a lot of my family's not Jewish. A lot of my families, uh, if they are Jewish, they're secular. So I just grew up with a lot m- – I guess more exposure to a lot of the secular world and secular music and art than your average kid who grew up from, from birth. Right. So it explains all the flavor and all the exposure you have in your music life and in your personal life. You told us about the whole producing and the tour with Bulletproof Stockings. Out of curiosity, how much did you have to lay out? I know you told you have released an EP, an extended play, and an actual album with Bulletproof Stockings. So that must have cost money. I know you spoke about producers and engineers so and managers. <laughs> so I just want to know, how did it start off? Did you start by laying out money, uh, personal money, and hoping it would go? Or did you just you know show up somewhere, play, 
and then make the money that you invested back into the band, into the studio. So could you just take us through the money part, the financials of your band? Sure. Um, early on when it came to concerts, we laid out the money ourselves. Um, we hired a sound engineer and a sound system. We rent a stage if we needed a stage. We had to pay for a venue if we needed a venue. And then we would sell tickets. Thank God we always at least broke even. We hardly ever made any money on top of it, which is very normal. It's incredibly hard to make music as an artist. I mean, not music, money <laughs> as an artist. It, it is. It just is. Straight, straight up. Like, unless you are signed to a huge label and they take pretty much all of your rights <laughs> and tell you what you have to sing and where you have to be. Unless unless you're signed, it's really hard to make money um, as an indie artist. And, you know, that's not, it's never why I got into it. I got into it because I love it and I don't care about the money beyond I need it for this thing. Hopefully I can pay this bill. That's it, you know? Um, so when it came to making concerts, that's how it started. And then slowly but surely over the years, people heard about us. So they would call us up and say, hey, we need you for this event. And we would tell them we charge X amount. And then in terms of producing, same thing. In the beginning, we did things in a lower, to a lower capacity. Um, we went to record that first single um, I was telling you about earlier, Frigid City is like the second song I ever wrote. We went and recorded it because before our first show, I was like, we should really record this. Like we should have something even for the first show just to sell that women could walk away with a piece of what we just gave them. So we went and recorded it like really soon after we had even just met and formed the band. It was like two weeks into practicing together. Yeah. So we met some people at that studio who said, oh, they could record us out of their home, you know, or out of their apartment. And so we hired a couple of guys who did it kind of low grade, but I think they did a pretty good job. They did it out of their apartments. They didn't charge us. Uh, they charged us less than what you would pay at a regular studio. But, you know, it was still a few hundred dollars for each each thing that we had to do. But, you know, we split the money and figured out how we would do it. And then for the full length album, we actually um, did a Kickstarter campaign and we raised Thank God um, we were trying to raise $36,000 for the album. That was like over budgeting for every aspect of it. And thank God we actually ended up with like $37,000 at the end of wow. it. We successfully raised all the money and we used pretty much every single penny for the album and for getting through the tour. And that was, that was it. Like everything was used exactly for what we needed it for and and then that was it. And then the tour, they did not pay us to go on tour, but there were guarantees. Like if you have an agency that does the tour for you, certain venues, um, they don't have any guarantees. So you have to sell the tickets. And if you get yeah. a certain number of tickets, then you get a certain percentage of the money and still the venue takes some of it. Um, and the agency takes some of it. Um, and at some venues, they have a guarantee. Like even if you have zero people come to your show, they have a certain guarantee of how much you'll make at this venue. And again, the agency always takes a certain percentage of it. So it, it wasn't like a big money maker, but it was enough to get us through the tour and get us home, <laughs> you know? And, um, but again, we didn't, none of, I don't think any of us did it for the money. I don't think any of us, I don't think most musicians who are doing it this way, doing it th the indie way, um, are trying to make money. If so, get out. <laughs> well, I'm not necessarily asking if you're making money, but I wanted to know if you made back the money or you're able to bring in the money that it cost to to operate 
and to go on tour. We were able to get through all of it. Yeah. Thank okay. God. So, so that's a huge accomplishment in the right. music business. A tremendous accomplishment. <laughs> okay. So congratulations on that. I want to ask you about the music that you wrote and that was used in a film, 93 Queen, uh, that star Judge Ruchi Fryer. It's or, all about her. It's a documentary. So she's in the entire film. Yeah, it's all about <laughs> Ruffy Fryer. She's an amazing woman, too. So You can get her on your show. I highly recommend it. That's definitely really in the works. Super- We're hoping to have that and branch out to other professions as well. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But tell us how you got uh, poached for this project and how you how you did it. Did you go to studio for that? Did you self-produce that music? Or did they use your existing music? Um, so the director and filmmaker, Paul Izelt, who um, worked tirelessly on this film for about five years, and another one of the producers, Heidi Reinberg, they called me up. And they told me that um, they knew that they wanted to use, um, my music and my voice since bulletproof stockings, but that it took a long time to get to that part of the film. They really worked on this film for like over five years. So, and that's kind of how these things go. Um, so they honestly only contacted me, I don't know, six months ago, you know, told me what, what they were looking for. So there was another composer. Her name is Laura Karpman. She's a really well-known composer in LA who did the score. So all of the, um, music that's underlying the film. Um, so she did the score for the overall film. And what they had me do was two things. One, one was they wanted Nigunim. They wanted Hasidic melodies in the film and they wanted them to be sung by a woman because the, this film is really inspiring. Everyone should see it when it comes out. It's going to be on PBS in September. Um, and it's in a bunch of different um, film festivals if you want to look it up. But they had me basically curate, I guess, choose different Hasidic melodies that I knew and that I thought would go well with the score. And I listened to Laura's clips and different parts of the score. And I sang these different nagunim back to them. And then we did kind of back and forth where I'd record something, send it back, get it approved. They'd send it back to me. When it was finally ready, I went into an actual studio um, here in Chicago that I love, that I use a lot, Transient Sound Studios. And I recorded just my vocals, just the Nagunim, um, to the score background. And then they spliced it into different parts of the film. So while you're watching the film, you know, some parts are just strings and there's, you know, background music. And then all of a sudden you'll hear a part of a song that I'm singing. But then I also wrote the finale song um, that starts right at the end of the film and plays through the credits. Um, And that is an original song that I wrote. She told me she wanted, Paula, the director, um, told me she wanted specifically a song that was all about female empowerment. So she wanted me to use um, one of two lines about women. So one is Kol Kfudabas Melech Panima, which I I think probably a lot of your listeners might be familiar with. It means all the honor of a princess or the daughter of a king um, is in the inside. And the other one is Pia Pascha Vechachva, the Soros Chesed Alishona, which is from Aisha's Chayel. And it means she opens her mouth with wisdom and like words of kindness are on her tongue. And I really liked the line Pia Pascha, so I decided to go with that one. And I wrote the finale song. All the lyrics are based off of Aisha's Chayel, 
Um, but the music, I mean, you know, I wrote it, I wrote the music and I arranged the lyrics in a different way. So it's not actually just me singing Aisha's Heil. It's, um, it's a different, it's like a different arrangement and it's a, it's a completely original piece. So I recorded that and that plays at the end of the film, which is very nice. Cause I don't know, it's just like a nice, cool moment at the end. Um, and yeah, it was really, really fun to do. And I'm just happy that it's a part of this film because it's all about women empowerment and I love that really amazing and I really cannot wait to watch it and listen to it and and hear your voice throughout and hear your original piece which sounds super cool and innovative um but I do want to ask because I tend to be nitty-gritty about money especially in the music industry because people have these preconceived notions that that Somehow, you know, if you were your name was splashed all over the press in the secular and the Jewish press, and everyone knows your name, of course you're making money off of that. And part of this podcast is just bringing awareness to how much we need the support of the women to just cover the costs. Forget about actually making a profit. Um, so there's a lot of education that I'm doing here. So I wanted to ask you all the recording that you didn't send back to the producer or the director of the film and the final recordings. Did they cover the expenses and did you did they pay you for your work? Or is it just exposure and an honor to be in the film? So I wanna which people tend to use that right. to get people to work and use their talents. And again, right. work for free. Okay, go right. ahead. No, that's a great that's a really, really great question. Um so the when I was passing things back and forth um, with my ideas of my original song and also the Nagunim, I did that right off my phone. So that didn't cost me anything. I just sent it right away. Um, all of the recording was covered by the film and I did get paid. Um, but it, it's interesting that you bring that up. And, um, you know, a lot of these films, especially documentaries, are working with a very small budget. And I yeah. think that in general, um, not specifically related to the film industry or to, you know, this film in particular, Um, but in general, like you said, I think a lot of people don't take women seriously, especially in the firm community and people do expect you to work for free, unfortunately. And, um, I've definitely had experiences where people expected me to work for free and I had to tell them I I can't, you know, honestly, at this point in my life, at this stage of my career, it would be irresponsible of me. Um, and I can't afford it. I can't afford the time and energy that it takes to put in because I could get paid for some other work somewhere else. And it's not right. You know, it's not right to not pay female musicians just because we're women or just because we're from and yeah, exposure is nice and it is great, but I think you need to know where you're at in your career and, you know, when you've put in a lot of work and you have already made a name for yourself and people are calling you because they know your name, not because you called them up for this big opportunity, then yeah, you, you know, you called me because you knew who I was because you wanted my work. So you need to, I need to get paid for that time and energy. Of course, when I was earlier on, you know, and again, earlier on, like it wasn't even that long ago, it was less than 10 years ago, even that I even started all this. Um, I did do a lot of things for free or for very little pay because we were just trying to get out there, you know, and I think that that's okay. I think it's okay to put yourself out there sometimes if you feel good about it and you feel like you can sleep with yourself and you feel like you feel, you know, it's, you're not uh, degrading yourself in any way. I think it's okay to volunteer time and energy. And I think that it's, it's a good thing to take opportunities. You need to kind of weigh it out for yourself. But if you're ever in a situation where, 
you're like, well, it's good exposure. And, you know, I do want to get my name out there, but I do feel that my time and energy at this point in my career are just worth more. You should fight for more. And I have had multiple experiences where I had to stand up for myself and say, you know, I, I need to charge X amount. I'm willing to negotiate, but this is my starting number. And, you know, I definitely can't come down too much from that. And I, I have had to negotiate contracts for myself and thank God I've been successful in doing that. I think that as long as you are confident in your work and you are honest about what your time and energy is worth and, um, you know, your work ethic is good, you say, Hey, this is what you, this is what I want from you. And this is what I can give you. And you're honest and you can fulfill that. People usually will say, okay, people will usually actually take you more seriously when you value yourself. uh, Yeah. You value yourself and you're confident about it. And thank you for saying all of this because, you know, if, if the, the name, the, the recognized name isn't getting paid, then, then, you know, what is, what is little Sprinza or little Hani thinking, who's listening to this podcast, what, what hope does she have? She has to know that the, the women who are paving the way, they are demanding to be paid the responsibility is on people like you, on women like you. So thank you for for demanding more, for valuing yourself, and for creating more opportunity. You are a trailblazer, and and we need we need women like you in this industry. But uh, I do want to make a reference. You shared a lot of personal details, and I did listen to the podcast interview you did on the Jewish Latin princess. If anyone wants to learn more about Peril, yeah. <laughs> um, definitely check out that um, that podcast. Shout out to Yael Trush. Yeah, so I want to know what your musical aspirations, what's your next project? Where, where do you see yourself in the future, musically speaking? I know you do other things like fashion and photography and styling. You are a stylist. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it reminds me a lot of me because I have a lot of other parts to my Francisca brand, which is yoga and music production. I do also do photography as well. I feel like it all blends in together. What's your goal and your dream? Where do you feel you would be happy saying, you know what, I feel like I accomplished what I set out to do? That's a good question. I, I mean, I think the work is, as long as we're alive, there's work to do. So I don't know that I'd ever feel like I'm good. I've, uh, reach self-actualization. I think we're always working on ourselves. My biggest goal right now is getting my first solo album out now. Um, I now just perform under my own name, Peril. Um, And I do perform for mixed audiences now, but I still do women's only performances sometimes. And I do um, try to hire mostly or only, depending on the project, uh, women for for these purposes, just because I feel like women need these opportunities and get overlooked all the time and don't get paid. (laughs) And it is very important to me that I pay my musicians and I pay them well um, and never expect anyone to work for free. Not to say that I've never played a show and not been able to pay, but I always tell my musicians like, hey, this gig is going to be kind of a freebie thing. And if you want to be there, I'd love to have you. But if you can't, I would totally get that. Um, But when I get hired for an event, like I pay my musicians, I pay them on time, I take care of all of their expenses, I make sure that people are taken seriously. And I think that that's really important. So putting out my first solo album, making music videos, um, maybe even starting my own production company, um, starting my own fashion line, um, building my brand, 
that's that's really my goal: women empowerment and putting out content, music, art, fashion, and yeah, that that's where that's where I'm headed. That's what I'm doing. That's so beautiful. May I ask how you're funding the solo album? Is it based on your musical earnings or other sources? So <laughs> it's a great question. Um, so I'm not entirely sure yet. I'm kind of taking it one step at a time. I'm still. Um, I was hoping, it's funny because when I did the interview with Yael, which was last summer, I was planning to already have my album out by now. I actually ended up taking the year to do a lot of other things and it was great. It was very, very important. And now I'm actually ready to delve into the album. So I'm figuring that out as I go. Um, It is very likely that I will record it myself, which will save a lot of the cost. I'm learning how to record right now. One of my best friends is a sound engineer. So I'm taking lessons from him, which is awesome. And, um, in the biggest expense really will be paying musicians and paying for the equipment. Um, but not having to pay an engineer or a studio will be a huge weight off of my shoulders. Plus it'll be a good learning experience for me. And, um, yeah, I'm just going to take it one day at a time. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll do another fundraiser. Maybe not. Uh, for me, I'm like, I, instead of, I tend to get caught up in like the overall picture and like I want it to be a certain way and I want it to be like this. And now I'm realizing that, especially in today's day and age, the most important thing is just putting out content, good content that people want. Because Styles change every day and people's interests change every day and people don't have the attention span. So if you have a song now, just put it out. If you have a video, just put it out. Like, you know, I used to be more caught up in like, it needs to be a whole album and it needs to be like this and everything needs to be perfect before I release it. So I think with this album, I'm playing it by ear. I might just release a single here and a single here and a single here and then put out the full production, but it's whatever Hashem wants. So if the money comes and I can do it one way, I'll do it. And if not, I'm just going to try and keep putting stuff out there because I think that, you know, being out there is really important. And like you said, I think that when totally what you said before, like if people who do have exposure and do have a name out there aren't getting paid and aren't being taken seriously and can't put out content, like, yeah, how are people who who have not even put themselves out there yet going to feel confident enough to say, hey, I'm worthwhile, you know, my music's worthwhile. Your music is worthwhile. Whatever you do, it's worthwhile. And you're not going to get every single person. And you're not going to be anyone, everyone's taste. You're never going to be everyone's taste. You know what I mean? So you just have to do what feels good and right to you and to whatever capacity you can. So I don't know. I feel I, like the money comes when you need it, you know? I love that and I respect that a lot. The the things you said about, you know, playing it by ear taking responsibility of your position and really trusting Hashem that it's going to happen the way it needs to happen. It's a very, very mindful and beautiful way to go. And I I feel like I'm sort of, I need that reminder day to day, actually. And well, your stuff is great. Your stuff is beautiful. Thank I think you, you so much. Doing it, so you know? are you. I did have one more question. You briefly just mentioned that you did start to, you're not limiting yourself to just female-only audiences, and I wanted to ask you about that journey and what led you to make that transition. Okay. Um, So when I first started, um, even before I started Bulletproof Stockings, I spoke to several Rabbanim, like post-gim, people who actually, like, you know, make decisions about these things and and know their stuff, hopefully. Um, And I asked about Kalisha and the mitzvah, and is there anything I need to know about it? 
every Rav I spoke to told me very point blank, the mitzvah is for men. The mitzvah is not for women. It's a man's mitzvah. Kol Isha is 100% a man's mitzvah. That means it is 100% on a man to keep it however he keeps it or not. It is not, there is no mitzvah for women to not sing in public because men might hear. There is no such mitzvah. I know that it's, I think that one thing that is so important and has always been like something that is close to my heart <laughs> is I think that unfortunately a lot of people mix minhag and halacha and they don't clarify it, especially for people who are balchuva or, or converts. And even from people from, from birth, I, I remember being in high school and just like hearing teachers say things as though they were law and they were facts. And it was like, wait, no, 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 that's a very specific minhag for a very specific community. And I think it's important to clarify that. So yes, people will say, well, but it's really not our men hug to sing in public because men might hear us. Yeah, you're right. That is actually how people have chosen to go about it. Don't ever sing, even with a group of women, be careful. Like, okay. But at the end of the day, what's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is for men. And there are plenty of men who do listen to women sing. And I've always had plenty of male fans, Jewish and not Jewish, as Bulletproof Stockings and with my new group. And some men will listen to it, even though it was women, women only. And some, you know, were like, I listened to it, but they didn't want to be honest about it because they thought that I'd be offended. And I'm like, remember, this isn't for, for me. This is for you. You choose how to do that or not. But we're allowed to sing. And we're allowed to make a profession. And if men don't want to hear you, they shouldn't come to your concert. It's like, I can't listen to women sing. Guess what? No one's forcing you to buy a ticket to my show. No one's forcing you to watch our videos. You know, I'm sure you've probably, I, I don't know for sure, but I can only imagine as being a fellow female from musician that you probably get comments in different places on different forums saying like, why is this in public? It's on Snia, so she's uh, moving around. And like, I can see this video. It's like, of yeah, <laughs> it, it says it's a woman singing. If you didn't want to see that, you shouldn't have clicked play. You know, like it takes all the accountability off of the man and puts it on the woman. And it's so ridiculous. The accountability is 100% on the man. And no one is forcing you to listen to us sing or watch us dance or watch a yoga video. You don't have to watch it. Just don't, you know. And if you want to, that's your prerogative. And if you don't, you don't. So when it comes to opening up my audience, even with Bulletproof Stockings, the reason that I wanted to perform for women only was never because I felt like it was unsneous to perform elsewhere because it's always been for whoever and they're allowed to decide for themselves. It was always about women empowerment. It was about from women can't go to shows like this. And when you go to a, an Avram Freed concert or a, I don't know, a God Elbaz concert, I've never been to any of these shows, but I just imagine, I actually, I've been to a couple like when I was a kid. There's always like a mechitza and oh, yeah. the men are freaking out, dancing and jumping up and down. The women are all kind of like uh, uncomfortably shuffling, like, you know what I mean? And it's like, we can't even enjoy it even when there's a mechitza because we're still expected to be tame. And what if a man walks past the other side of the section and sees you dancing? Like, and I was like, I don't want that. I just want women from women, Jewish women, non-Jewish women to go to a concert and not be thinking about like, how do I look? And am I dancing too inappropriately or do I look sexy enough or do I you know what I mean just be yourself just dance don't worry about that and I felt like it would just create a really positive energy and it really did you know as Bulletproof Stockings we were really able to see how important and how amazing it was for women to have that there's just like this elation in the room like girls would like dork out with their like dorky dance moves you know like things <laughs> that they wouldn't do if guys were there because they'd be too self-conscious I'm saying even women who aren't 
from who weren't doing it for that reason. There was just something different about the energy. So that's why I wanted to make a women's only space. I was always aware of the fact that it wasn't on me. And now with my new group, it's interesting. It's funny because people, (laughs) I'm sure will have different opinions about what I'm about to say, but I really believe that we're, we're basically, we're, we're at the forefront, the, the footsteps of, of Mashiach. We're like, we're in Mashiach times. And we know that in Mashiach times, at least I know, I've, I've heard, this concept of Kolisha won't even be a thing. There won't be a concept of Kolisha. Now, I'm not saying Mashiach is here. We don't need to fast. We don't need to do anything. No, I'm not saying that. It's a process. I've always believed Mashiach isn't going to one day show up and it's a king and then candy's growing on trees and everything's great. It's a process. It happens in its own time. But we're, we're so there. And for me, I actually feel like I don't, I don't need to hold back my audience for Tzniyas reasons. I, I try to be a Tzniyas person. I serve Hashem in my own way. Like I do the things that I need to do for my relationship with Hashem. And I think that that's how all relationships should be. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people get caught up in like, what the community expects and like you need to look like this and dress like this and go to this school. And like, they don't even really connect to why it's more like, well, that's what's expected. And I realized that at this point in my life, I'm happy that bulletproof stockings happened the way it did. I'm so happy. I had the opportunity to do the women only thing. And I'm like, I don't feel at this point in my life that that's what I need to do. I actually think I'll be able to reach more people and spread more light and positivity by opening up my audience And like I said, I do still perform for women's only audiences. If someone wants to hire me for an event for women only, I love it. It's so much fun. Um, But I don't I don't think that that's where I need to be now. I think I need to put myself out there in a bigger way. And I feel like especially because Baruch Hashem, I was able to create a name for myself. It would make even a bigger impact and a bigger Kiddush Hashem to be out there in the world making music that just sounds like music and not like this is a Hasidic woman. This is a from woman. Like I would love people to come to my shows and like enjoy the music and then be like, Oh, is she wearing a wig? Oh, Oh, you know, I just realized she is dressed completely modestly. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to being like, I am the Hasidic girl band. It's like I'm peril and I'm me and I'm just trying to spread light and positivity. Right. Right. And I think that that in a way is more impactful to people because then they don't go into it with all these preconceived notions and judgment about what you do. It's like, you're just a musician. Oh, and hopefully a good example. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. You know, only Hashem can help me with that and we'll see what happens. But that's, that's ultimately why I decided to open my audience up. So it's really incredible to hear your story, your journey, your goals, and your thought process throughout everything. I really feel like you're honest with yourself. You're honest with, with your audience and it's it's beautiful that's one thing you get out of artists that you don't get out of uh, people in other professions is um, it's really a self-learning journey it's not you're you're not an accountant just you know working the books for 30 years or 15 years doing music is really dealing with your emotions and dealing with self-growth and you do that so beautifully I feel like if anyone should be an example for other women and girls out there, it, it makes sense why you have have been successful in your role because you really have a lot to accomplish and a lot to a lot to do on behalf of the women. 
and you're such a beautiful soul and I just can't wait to hear your original album. I'd love to perform with you sometime. That'd be you know, awesome. Maybe once we'll do a concert together in the very, very far future. <laughs> or maybe near not future. so far. <laughs> maybe not so far. Things move a lot more quickly these days, they do. so you never know. And you're right, a lot a lot is happening and things are happening and it's such a great honor to have you on the show and to share your story and I feel like there's a lot to learn from you for anyone listening out there and for myself. Can you tell us where we could find you, follow you, or book you? Sure. Um, you can find me on Facebook uh, at Peril Music. Peril is just spelled P-E-R-L, no extra vowels, it's four letters. Um, my last name is Wolf, W-O-L-F-E. So you can either Google me, Pearl Wolf, and you can find all my stuff, or you can just go to Pearl Music. That's my handle on Facebook. That's my handle on Instagram. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Pearl underscore music, but it's mostly Pearl Music if you look that up. Um, or just Google Pearl Wolf and you can find all of my new stuff. But um, I am hoping to put out a single possibly a video soon so we'll see and um it looks like i might have a show in august in new york so i'll put that up on my website uh, for any people in the tri-state area who might want to come see my new stuff yes uh, definitely yeah. so exciting thank you so so much thank you if you have been enjoying this podcast please make sure to leave us a review subscribe and share this show with people you think may also enjoy it see you next time